Welcome to the 9 to 5 Joy podcast. I'm Christine Selby. And I'm Mappy Garcia. And we are on a mission to making work more joyful. This month, we're talking about cultivating a culture of belonging and how that relates to joy. We are doing that through conversations with people who have successfully enhanced belonging, specifically in Miami-Dade. We're hoping their learnings from their experiences can be applied to the workplace. Thank you so much for joining us for our second month of the 9 to 5 Joy podcast. Spread the joy. Welcome to the 9 to 5 Joy podcast. Our guest today is Eric Bancroft. We are incredibly excited to have you here today, Eric. Uh, Eric is the pastor at Grace Community Church. He's got a long history um, in ministry. He was the pastor previously at Castleview Church. He's lived, we have in common that uh, he has lived in Minnesota, where I'm from. He's also lived in Colorado, South Carolina, um, and California. And we are thrilled to have you today here today, Eric, because we're talking this month about joy at work, obviously, as per the podcast, but also belonging and community in Miami. And we think that you can bring a really unique perspective to that. Thank you for being here. Well, let me just say, well, thank you to both of you. I appreciate you guys having me. It's great to be here with you. Uh, yes, Christine, you and I do have that in common, the, the background to uh, Minnesota. Uh, we have definitely gone from extreme cold to extreme warm. I think we're both in yes. agreement that we like it here in Miami. More joyful in the warm. <laughs> For sure. More joyful in the warm. And my family has uh, in Minnesota has gladly invited himself to come visit me down here where there is more joy because there's more sun. <laughs> that is good. So if you want to tell us a little bit more about um, your professional journey and um, how what you do feels, you know, has that element of joy that you bring to people in general. Sure. Sure. Well, I should probably say at the outset, uh, maybe perhaps to the surprise of some of your listeners, um, because of maybe sometimes stereotypes of pastors, no one is more surprised that I'm a pastor than I am. Uh, I don't come from a background of pastors. I don't come from a long background of Christians. And, uh, and even when I was in college, I was really trying to think through in light of being a fairly new Christian, what I wanted to do with my life and just uh, having different sort of opportunities. Uh, my mom was a lawyer. Uh, my uh, first dad was in the army. Second dad was in uh, first law enforcement and then a drug enforcement administration. So I thought something law-based. And so when I was in college, I did what I think a lot of college students do. I went through different universities that had tried out different majors and uh, really enjoyed serving as a volunteer in my local church, really enjoyed that while I was in college. During that time, I was encouraged by people to consider full-time ministry. And I said, oh, no, that's not for me. I had a vision that people who, uh, a, a picture in my mind that people who are in full-time ministry should be just like people who didn't struggle with anything, had perfect backgrounds, great families, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really was not my upbringing and my experience. Um, and so I didn't think I was sort of worthy of that. And then as I continue to read the Bible, just realized God loves to use people uh, that brings him attention and glory, what he can do with people, not how amazing those people are. And I thought, well, then I definitely qualify for that. So I shifted to my final major in college, which is biblical studies to a different university, then went to graduate school in California and uh, seminary, and then went to graduate school again for a second master's degree in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. 
And uh, so I have been in full-time ministry now for a little over 22 uh, years mm. and I uh, have enjoyed pastoring both in Los Angeles, Indianapolis, and then now in Miami, where interestingly, my wife and I met and married uh, 26 years ago. So it's a little bit of my, my journey, both how I got there and where I've come from. That's amazing. And it's so beautiful how you talk about, you know, sort of fighting the stereotype of that mind in your head telling you um, you're not worthy enough or this is not, you know, for me because only people that do this or look like this or think this way or have acted this way uh, will be sort of qualified for it. And I think it really ties very nicely into our um, theme of purpose and connection. So, um, so this month we really want to sort of dive into how, um, we've heard a lot about this human element of being seen and sort of feeling seen. And I think that the way that you talk about God using you in your own sort of individuality and qualities to become a minister talks a lot about that sort of feeling seen and, and acknowledging who you are and what you can bring to the table. And then the linkages between that and purpose. So we just wanted to explore a little bit with you and dive a little deeper into um, this idea of purpose and how it has driven your professional journey and the work that you do now and what you see the connections between purpose and joy at work, which is what we ultimately want to explore, um, are. Yeah, sure. I, I definitely think, I think there's a, a default for a lot of people that they kind of work backwards from circumstantial what they see and therefore uh, have experienced to then what they should feel and or think. And so it becomes understandably a default for a lot of people that they are who they are based on what they have gone through, what they've experienced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I come at it from a Christian perspective and I mean to qualify that recognizing kind of in the, in the free marketplace of ideas, people, might come from a different perspective, but as somebody who is committed to the to the Bible as the Word of God, I believe that every person has been created in the image of God, and that's not something I'm declaring. It's something that the Bible says in the very beginning in Genesis, and because of that, that means then I see everybody, regardless of experience, good or bad, regardless of knowledge, a lot or little, as somebody who has intrinsic value and dignity and should be therefore treated with respect. And I think it's significant not only for how we treat others, but also for how we view ourselves. When a lot of times people have um, a really distorted view of themselves because they're either listening to what others have said to them in the past with some very destructive or abusive words or bad experiences, or um, what they have done themselves by perhaps a series of bad decisions, and they feel an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame for that. Mm -hmm. So they feel so far removed from the topic we're talking about today, which is one of joy. Like mm -hmm. joy is a virtue to be commended, but not necessarily the experience that I would be eligible for or whatever in any way <laughs> think I can identify with. <laughs> yeah, we see that so much, you know, especially when with these, um, going back to like the stereotypes and these ideas that we have of, you know, work is, you know, just the grind and let me just, you know, survive it so that I can maybe have some fun and relax and, you know, when I'm off, but I don't necessarily see myself or the environment that I'm in 
as a vehicle, as an opportunity, or, you know, as something that should also bring me that joy. So we've definitely seen that and it's a thing that has come out and that we want to continue to explore. So um, thinking of your own journey, as you started to sort of explore this idea of ministry and in the different, um, you know, sort of environments that you have been in, if you were to think about the most joyful moments that you've had work-wise and the least joyful experience, what will those be? Well, forgive me, I, I will answer your question, but let me deviate just one question outside, one answer outside of the workplace, only because I'd be remiss to not say this. I am a happily married man of 26 years, and the wife that I married, Danelle, to whom, by God's grace, I'm still married to today, I remember vividly the joy I had in proposing to her and her saying yes, and and subsequently the joy of being married on our wedding day, August 10th, 1996, and then the three kids we have, two by birth and one by adoption. So I say that because those are such memorable markers in my mind of relationships, of environments, of people, of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people understand that where they can think of those sort of milestones in their life, be they relational, be they academic, as just significant memory-making moments that just either by the accurate representation of their memory or by a kind of a kind reinterpretation of their memory, they look back and go, man, that was a good time. Mm-hmm. And they still kind of ride the wave of that. Mm-hmm. To your question specifically about historical moments in the workplace that have been places of joy for me, I think it's been a really sweet thing for me. And I consider it a great privilege of being a pastor that I get to be somebody who is an ambassador, to use a term that the Bible uses in, in common and, and even kind of international relations between countries. I get to be an ambassador for the good news of Jesus Christ and specifically to talk to people who think, kind of honestly, very similar to my uh, perspective and why I thought I couldn't be a pastor. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can think there's no way that God could love me mm-hmm. either because of things I have done or I've experienced. And and I'm sort of the small print on God's grace, God's mercy. So assuming people believe in deity, and I obviously there's a presupposition to my statement, assuming people believe in deity, there are some people in place say are atheistic and and though I would respectfully disagree. So I'm 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 qualifying my statement. Assuming people believe in deity and Assuming people believe in, a, in that God who has created them and has authority over them, they still can think of God as being quite distant from them. Mm-hmm. And they can base that based on the experience, like I said, of either what they've gone through personally or what they've done um, personally and decisions they've made. And part of the joy for me over the years has been to sort of see the lights come on in their thinking. It's like these, like someone just walked into a dark room and turned the lights on and they realize, wow, when God extends love and grace, I qualify. Mm. In fact, ironically, the very fact that I think I don't qualify, there's a almost inverse relationship, is the more I qualify. Yeah. When you see, for example, Jesus in the Gospels, um, one well-known story is Jesus goes to the town in the, in the region of the country called Samaria at that time. There's a woman who's at the well. She purposely is at the well in the daytime because she can't be there when all the other women are normally at the well uh, because of apparently some social outcasts that he's about to discover. Mm-hmm. And he and he talks to her and dialogues with her, and he realizes in talking with her what he knows because he's the son of God, so he knows these things about her. Um, they start talking about worship, and they start talking about relationship. 
But she goes on to identify that she has been married four times and that the man she's with now, presumably a fifth man, she's not even married to that man. So not only is she a Samaritan, which would have been a, a, a cultural, ethnic outcast to a Jewish person at that time, but she's also ethnic, uh, ethically just totally outside the boundaries of anything good and right. You could say this would be a person that would not qualify for God's kindness and acceptance. And yet Jesus shows her such love and grace in such a way that even surprises the disciples. When the disciples come and find them there, they basically say to Jesus, do you, do you not know who it is you're talking to? He's like, yes, I know who I'm talking to. And she's so overwhelmed at how Jesus accepts her and teaches her that she then goes and tells in town, everybody about Jesus that she just met. And I say that because as a biblical example of what I get to do on a regular basis as a pastor is to connect with people who feel like they are the sort of living at the town wells in the middle of the daytime. They feel like if you only knew my story. Mm -hmm. And I so regularly say, you're right. I don't know your story in its specifics, but I've known enough stories of people. And I know the story of God's grace in the Bible to know you're not outside the reach of God's love and mercy and grace towards you in Jesus Christ. And for me, that brings great joy mm -hmm. where people can realize the love of God is found for them in Christ. And no matter what they have done, that does not disqualify them for God's reaching them and caring for them, ministering to them, what they otherwise think they would. So it's almost like you're turning on the light for them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what about the least joyful um, experience? What would you say are challenging times to generate or nurture joy while you in your journey? I, I think probably my experience would be common to others, even those who are not in full-time ministry, those who are not pastors, which is if you can feel like your work is futile, hmm. if you feel like your work is unproductive, if you feel like your work is meaningless. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to people in various places of employment in their workplace who might have a hard time connecting all the effort and energy they put into an endeavor, a task, a project, a collaboration of relationships, only for it to be perhaps um, cut. It's defunded or perhaps it's, uh, no, it's no longer prioritized uh, or it's de-staffed or it's just kind of diminished as to its significance or it's it's. It's utilized, but it's not really congratulated or thanked. Mm -hmm. And a person in that moment can feel like, man, I just put a ton of myself in, in seemingly to little effect. I say that because bringing it back to your question in my place, the temptation can still be true for pastors as well, mm -hmm. where go back to the scenario I just described, where I speak to people and talk to people, go back to the countless hours I can invest in people's lives and meet with them and do counseling with them and show love and hospitality to them. And then them have you, then them just walk away from it all. Right. And often without even saying a word of not only of thankfulness, but just a word of explanation. They're just, they're just gone. And I think for a lot of pastors who are in a constant place of pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, is if they're not careful and they're not motivated by the right reasons, they'll over time become cynical. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll become resentful. Mm -hmm. Um that's not unique, obviously, to pastors. That's common to all of us in our places of employment, the work we do. So I think having to fight against that temptation to be aware of it, mm -hmm. which means I have to place my joy in something than just the immediacy mm -hmm. of the appreciation yeah. or in the product that it, I'm hoping it produces. It's got to be something more than that. Otherwise, 
I'm going to ride a roller coaster of experience and emotion. Right. So that takes us back a little bit to the purpose, right? So if you're clear on what that purpose is and you're committed to it, you may have results throughout that may not necessarily, you know, show you that you're like, you know, being successful right. immediately, right? Uh, however, right, right. that doesn't compromise the fact that you continue to move towards your purpose. And, um, and, and we understand that, you know, part of the work that you're doing and perhaps, and, and this will be part of the question, um, is, is there alignment with that purpose and the work that you've been doing around connecting people in Miami, sort of creating that sense of community? What do you see sort of the relationship or the um, ways in which purpose and connection kind of relate to each other or dance together, if you may? Yeah. So let me let me answer that question by first sort of establishing kind of a prerequisite of understanding or I think just an important presupposition, which is let's come at it from the opposite perspective. What are joy killers? What are hindrances to joy? <laughs> and I think I think sometimes, you know, part of that can be um, and, and there's a variety of them, but let's just I'll list a couple of them off the top of my head. Part of that can be at times pride. Mm -hmm. Um I can feel like I am somebody and or deserve something that I'm not getting. And if and if I am really distracted and blinded by my pride, then the the relationship I'm going to have to joy is going to be intermittent at best. Right. Mm. Because only in so much as the circumstances of the people around me are sort of supporting my view of what I think I deserve and what I've accomplished. Will it kind of support that? And so that becomes really honestly a self-centered joy, which I would say is not very sustainable and very corrupted. Right. Yeah. Um, I think another uh, killer for joy can be an obstacle for joy, can be insecurity. Mm -hmm. So this one is like a branch, if you will, it's like a cousin of relationship to pride with with little less sort of bad social manners, if you will. If they go out in relational terms with the family picnic. Um, the, the insecure person is not necessarily so domineering and self-centered and me-centered, at least as it presents itself evidently, but they are because of their insecurity, often wondering what people think of them. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of caught up in that sense of, of lack of awareness of themselves, lack of security in who they are and their own identity. And they're looking to others to affirm that. And so either by the lack of comments about their work that they've done or by the kind of correction that's been offered, they're often sort of very unstable because of their insecurity. And those things can really undermine joy as the need to take a different really mindset. And so that's why I'd say those are just, again, two quick things as far as joy killers. But let's go back to the question that you've asked, and that is what sustains joy to be able to be substantial, both in its meaning and in its longevity? I think it really comes down to its perspective. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the example I gave in pastoral ministry, as well as people just in common workplace. If I have a short timeline of expectation mm -hmm. on when something will be evident and productive and or appreciated, it's likely my joy is going to be intermittent at best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I can take a long-term perspective that the work I'm doing, the people I'm interacting with is not one tied to my identity. So that's my insecurity 
or two, tied to my pride and my sense of, you know, my cheese and my personality to kind of be bolstered up. But it's like, listen, this is not about me. And I'm taking a different perspective. So my perspective is informed by two things. One, longevity. And two, removing my identity from the equation. And the reason this is significant is because now it means in humility, as what the Bible says in Philippians chapter two, as Paul's writing to some, some new Christians in the city of Philippi, he says, hey, count others more important than yourself which is just simply what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which is do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Now, the significance in that perspective is not this bartering. Hey, I will do for you as long as you promise to do for me. Mm -hmm. It's simply saying, no, that's not what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, 12. He's actually saying, you're so aware of what you would enjoy because you know what that is. You're like yourself. Well, learn to love others that same way. So for me in Miami, one of the things that I've loved, not just in my place of ministry, but just in my place of community, in my neighborhood, in my place where I'm in third space places of working with other people in my community. I love finding out things that they enjoy, topics they love talking about, activities they love doing, mm -hmm. um, experiences that, they, that they've enjoyed, and I love asking them questions about it. Yeah. And I love doing that, not because I'm in some low-grade way trying to get people to like me and I'm really friendly and I'm really social. No, it's because I'm, I'm trying to do two things. One, I'm trying to really show them love, which I really enjoy. I, I enjoy loving people. And secondly, I kind of want to hold up the, the good, kind hand of God that is directing them and blessing them, whether or not they see it or they give them thanks for it. That does not mean I'm trying to create a false reality that life is not hard, life is not broken, life is not difficult. I'm just trying to help them not miss what sometimes is right in front of them but they're so distracted by other things going around them that they just miss this. And sometimes that just means drawing people out in questions and conversations. So I think it comes down to perspective. Well, I have to jump in and, and like point this out because we had uh, actually our very first interview uh, was Lisa Bucci and she is a hurricane specialist. She's one of 10 hurricane specialists in the country. She's amazing. She used to fly into hurricanes and she she's a really incredible person and she's also really good at this and this is kind of exactly what she said is one of the main things i do is i pay attention to what is important to people and i try to bring that to them now she was talking specifically about food but say say sure. yeah um and and i thought it was important to just kind of point out that that came up a second time mm -hmm. um and i love there's a lot of things that i love about what you're saying um and I want to talk a little bit about Miami specifically. And one of the things that you, I love that earlier when we asked you about joy, you kind of zoomed back and you said, yes, workplace, but also these moments in my life, right? My, my kids, my wife, having a family and how much joy that brought. And I think it's so important because one of the things that I think is a joy killer, right, is when we start to look at our life in fragments. Here's work, here's family, here's my friends. Here's, you know, my social, whatever, um, as opposed to a whole person, because it kind of takes away from from what we need to be. It, it's incongruent. And then we we lose joy in that. Um, and so when we zoom in on Miami, I'm curious what you see. And you've talked about this a little bit already. What are some of the specific challenges when you're talking to professionals who are coming into Miami? We're a very transient city, right? Um, and what are some of the specific challenges you see in Miami for people to experience joy in their workplaces? Yeah, it's a great question. I think part of the challenge for people is to have their workplace be so closely tied to their identity that who they are 
is basically the sum of what they do and where they do it and who they do it for. And so I'm trying to like thread a very careful needle when I'm talking to such individuals to both appreciate and commend the dignity of what they do, where they do it, who they do it for, but also at the same time, have them kind of hold that open-handedly that that doesn't define them <laughs> and determine their future. So in other words, I want to root their sort of stability emotionally and mentally, and I would say as a Christian spiritually in something more than just what they do and where they do it. At the same time, you know, I think people, especially as you talked about being transient, you know, people coming into a new city, perhaps working remotely for jobs in other places or working at, for new companies in the city of Miami, like anything else that's new, you enter into the relationship and I use that as a generic term, romantically. Mm -hmm. You enter it with like this, like, you know, it's just going to be great. The city is great. The people are great. The job is great. The pay is great. It's just all great. And, and you it, know, it's sun shines here all the time and there's plenty of options and it's a great outdoor city. And you're like, okay, that's true. Those things are, are true. But sometimes it's not always true where, you know, traffic here is not always great, to put it mildly. Um, you know, the cost of living can be disorienting for some people. They don't come from, say, the West Coast, uh, you know, of, of California or Seattle kind of thing or, or Upper East Coast of New York. It could be disorienting if they come in the Midwest kind of thing. Like, that's an adjustment for them. So what I want to help them recognize is when they come into their new place, how to recognize that their place is is a means by which they get to interact with others through what they have a very skilled capacity in. So be thankful for the education they receive. Be thankful for the experience they receive. Be thankful for how it's been affirmed by the opportunity offered to them through the employment they've been given. But at the same time, to recognize that might be but for a season in that place in that time and another season in a new place, a new time. And that should not so uh, destabilize them that they can't find joy anymore. Hmm. So in those, I'm trying to help a person have a perspective that transcends the place, Miami, or the particular role, that that, that job that they're doing, mm -hmm. and yet can still be found in that place. So for example, I think Miami is a great place to live. Uh, my wife was born and raised in Miami. Her family goes back before the founding of the city in the 1800s. So they're like OG Miamians. Mm -hmm. I moved here when I was 19 years of age and lived here for a time, six years before I moved away for 20 years and came back here. Um, so I love Miami and I love for people who are coming in internationally or coming in nationally to the city of Miami and experiencing for the first time, often because of their places of employment. But at the same time, I want them to have categories for things are kind of appropriately, uh, inventoried as to how much emotional weight it's given. Mm -hmm. And that way, when they're in different environments, kind of back to what you're saying earlier, Christine, when they're in different environments, there's more continuity of perspective versus like all of my emotional sort of weight is in my job or in my weekend. And you you often hear people say that, right? The, the flip of this often is, and I think that's why I commend the two of you trying to bring joy into the workplace is people often by default will talk about, I can't wait for the weekend. Right. Mm -hmm. As if as if the weekend is the source of joy and the week is the is the days of drudgery. And so you have like this, you know, five to two ratio here. And I appreciate what you're trying to say is, no, 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 no. Listen, we're not trying to devalue the weekend, mm -hmm. but we are trying to help you give you glasses to see with perspective the value of the weekday, mm -hmm. where you're doing it, how you're doing it, with whom you're doing it, 
she can find joy in that place, which now brings meaning to what otherwise they otherwise would have missed. We may need to use that as a snippet. Yes. That would be very good. I think you may have said that better than we've said it yet. Um, um, okay. So one of the things that we're paying attention to here is like the units of change for this, right? Because you 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 hit the nail on the head. That's what we want to do. So now, now whose job is it? Is it my job as an individual, as an employee? Is it my manager's job? Is it my organization's job? Is it, you know, the county's mayor job to implement new workplace wellness policies? So let's let's talk about the individual for a minute as uh, as a pastor, right, as somebody who's a spiritual leader in the community. What would you say an individual's responsibility is for how they bring themselves to work and how they treat people? And I want to talk a little bit about belonging here, too, because we do live in this transient city. I think there's an opportunity that maybe people miss sometimes to extend a hand of blind to people in their workplace who maybe just moved in they've got two kids they don't have family supporting them you know there's there's all sorts of ways that miami can be a challenge Mm -hmm. could you talk about that for a minute sure i do think the individual going into the workplace can miss perhaps opportunities presented right before them of which they can really help shape the culture at work Mm -hmm. i think the problem can come let's take the politics as a as a point of comparison it'll bring it back to the workplace I think too often citizens can look towards politicians and the policies that we're hoping they're going to pass to change society. And I don't mean in any way to devalue the office of a politician, and I don't mean in any way to devalue the place of policies, but I think what you see in good societies is when the citizens of society recognize they're responsible for creating the environment they want to live in. Mm -hmm. And so it really does come down to... um, you know, kind of like, you know, they would speak about kind of ecological terms about, you know, thinking globally and acting locally. Mm-hmm. We'll put that in the workplace environment. It's like thinking corporately, but acting personally. Mm-hmm. So how can I, as an individual, step into my workplace Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going throughout the days of the week and sometimes even on the weekend and engage with people that doesn't just show I'm a responsible employee doing my job as I'm compensated to do responsibly, ethically, uh, diligently, but I'm also engaging with other people that I work alongside with kindness, with respect, with appreciation, so that I can really contribute into an environment in which I want to see an environment that's loving and kind. I think too often, let's go back to the scenario which you've described, a new person comes into town and is really at a disadvantage. They, they don't know where to shop. Uh, they don't have childcare for the kids. They're not sure what a, you know, a good doctor to get for their, for their family, whatever it might be, for themselves as a professional. Have them take a different perspective, which is if I was in those same shoes that I'm in myself, how can I serve other people? Mm-hmm. So how can I identify what other questions people might have and serve him? And in doing so, I'm creating an environment by which people begin to return in kind. And so I think we have got to be very careful that we don't start with the default of self-centeredness. Why won't others do for me what I need? Sometimes it's quite understandable what you need. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to minimize those needs, but instead start from the standpoint of what can I do for others based on what they need as I can understand it myself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people obviously just need encouragement. Mm-hmm. Encouragement of it's good to see you. Encouragement of I think your contribution was excellent in that meeting we had. 
Uh, sometimes they just need that to recognize that what they're doing is important. I can connect the dots because we're so kind of myopically focused, looking down and not looking up and around, we can miss it. But having other coworkers with us to contribute to that perspective can bring a sense of dignity and value and joy that what I'm doing has meaning and importance. Definitely. And we've heard that theme of, you know, connecting through being curious about others, through getting to know them, right? We just talked a little bit about that individuality. I think you bring like something that we hadn't heard this clearly before, which is, you know, we all own it, you know, like we, and we are agents in this sort of movement of joy at work. And that's part of the intention of this podcast, right? Like we want to definitely bring a lot of awareness to people in leadership. That's one of our goals for organizational cultures. Uh, but at the same time, that doesn't take away from everybody's individual responsibility yeah. in that. So um, we've got about five minutes left. I'm going to ask you two more questions. Um, so we talked about the individual. Now let's zoom out. So you're a leader yourself. You lead a team of people. You you speak with, interact with people who are leading um, organizations frequently. What would you say to leadership on this topic? What would you say to folks about what is your responsibility when you lead people in a workplace or you make decisions in a workplace? How do, how can you be intentional around this? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I definitely think leadership bears appropriately a certain level of responsibility of the culture that they're going to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think understandably, though sometimes unfortunately, that culture can default to the personality of the leader and how they operate by default and or what they value. Yeah. And what that means is that leader has got to have a sense of humility to involve others, to provide a more 360 degree view of what do we not have that we need here. Mm-hmm. So let, let me it, let me just use two terms by definition. I'm going to define them and then talk about how that can create in the culture environment. So think about a manager versus a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, a leader in the terms I'm using them, a leader could be somebody that's intrinsically disruptive. They are going where it has not gone before. They are starting what has not been seen before. Um, they, they're restlessly creating new ideas, new opportunities. And doing so, that can give the impression for, for practices and people that are already in place that what they have done has not been valued, mm-hmm. that has not been good enough, that's not been sufficient. And furthermore, if the leader is, a, is believed to be only motivated based off of money, mm. either for the company overall or for themselves personally, then the other employees can just feel like they're just facilitating this person's end of the year yeah. quarterly bonus, or they're sort of facilitating their profile at the company. Go ahead. And I want to I wanna just add to that money or power, I think would be another one. Right. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And so- so I, I don't mean to devalue the leader and what they're called to do often in an organization that I think is kind of seeing around the corner. They, they have to see it before you see it or the company will never see it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, recognize the relationship of a manager. A manager is often, while a leader can be destabilizing, a manager is often inherently stabilizing. They're taking what already is and they're creating an environment by which there's security, there's stability, there's a sense of familiarity. And so I think it's important, whether it's the leader's role by delegation or by example, 
or the manager's role by implementation or by their own example themselves to create an environment where people are celebrated, people are encouraged. And they're encouraged by who they are, not just what they do. Because if you always assign people's workplace value to what they do, then they really feel like the company only talks about family in so much as the person contributes to the bottom line of the company. But the moment you don't produce to that level, you're quote unquote no longer family. Well, in reality, in real world family, we don't disown each other like that. Mm-hmm. So the family is to create an environment where people are allowed to rest. People are allowed to encourage. So let me give a specific example. Uh, at my previous place where I was a pastor, uh, one of the things that I did was we had what we called Thirsty Thursday at 3.33. Yes, that's a mouthful. <laughs> I leave you making fun of it. But the, I, the idea was every Thursday at 3.30 in the afternoon, they knew not to have meetings scheduled, not to have appointments, not to be on phone calls, because I'd walk into all their offices that they didn't already have come out, hang up their phones, tell the person, I'm sorry, they got to go now. And we would get together for the next 30 plus minutes. And I, and I had stocked in the fridge all the staff's favorite drinks, hence the Thirsty Thursday. So their favorite drink was on standby ready. And we always did an activity together. And it seemingly had nothing to do with our jobs. It just was recognizing who they are and giving us a chance to laugh together and be together. We sometimes played miniature golf around the entire property, which is the most insane exercise. Sometimes we played card games together. Sometimes we just told stories of our childhood. And then when the time ended, we were done. We went back. Hmm. And the point was not looking to one Thursday as being like, oh, the person loves their job because of one Thursday. It was recognizing that while we all have various delegated responsibilities mm-hmm. with various levels of corresponding authority to that responsibility, we're all seen as together a part of a larger team as people working together who love each other, laugh together, and making memories together. And the more people feel like they know each other and are known by one another, the more they enjoy their workplace environment. And I think it's important that leaders cultivate those kind of ideas with some creativity. And even if the leaders are not creative, they can ask creative people on their team, help me think of something for our team here. So um, as you know, we want to make these uh, podcasts very actionable. And you just gave us these really juicy, (laughs) uh, because we're talking about drinks, uh, piece of advice about, and, and it's interesting because we also got it from another guest where they had this sort of ritual um, that was taking place on a regular basis, right? So it doesn't have to be weekly. It could be every other week, whatever the case may be, but it's giving people this opportunity to share, to be recognizing their individuality, right? So you talked about having everybody's, everybody's favorite drink. Um, and we feel that that would be like a really cool thing for people to implement. And as you said, it doesn't have to be that. It could be something different, but that kind of meets the same purpose of people just being able to be themselves, to interact without having, you know, an agenda in front of them and to share as humans and to connect. So I think that's a very good piece of advice that we can give our listeners. If there were um, even like two or three more, um, you know, tips or things that you feel people should think about and that could bring back to their workplaces, either as individuals or as managers or leaders as you were, or you, as you were talking about, uh, what would that be? What advice would you give our audience? So I think categorically, you have to think about joy in, like think about joy in what's promised and think about joy in what's fulfilled. 
So think about a child. If you tell a child, hey, we're going to go to Disney, they've not, they're not even yet at Disney and they're like filled with joy because that joy of promise is such a point of delight for them. And then there's the joy of fulfilled, which is once they're at Disney, they're like so excited. And so I think when you think about that perspective of how to consider joy, it's maybe not even yet what's happened or what's promised to take place or what's already now taking place that I'm really appreciating. And so I think in a workplace environment, going back to your question about leaders' role, I think it's important for leaders to recognize that they can help create cultures of joy based upon what they're telling their, their people is coming that they can look forward to as joy of promise or the joy of fulfillment. What is it that they're keeping the word and they're really enjoying together? Now, I want to be careful in how the process is because the individual, so now transitioning from the, the place of the, the leader to the just the individual in the workplace, mm-hmm. again, we're not trying to commend, though we, we welcome it, we're not trying to commend as the only means of joy is being found in the personality of the individual mm-hmm. or in the circumstances that they're immediately in. So this requires a level of maturity that says, I'm willing to perhaps go through difficult days because what's promised on the other end of difficult days are great days. Now, just to illustrate that, to get to your question about specifics here in just a second, you know, I, as a Christian, I read the scriptures where my joy is not even what I do or have or have experienced here. My joy is an ultimate eternal joy that extends beyond my lifetime. And it's not in me. So, for example, the scriptures talk about rejoicing in the Lord, rejoice in Christ. And for me as a Christian, I'm placing something of my joy in something that is objective, not subjective. That's eternal, not temporal. And so that grounds me, which is why in the book of James it says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Well, nobody likes trials because he says of what the trials will produce in you, Mm -hmm. the steadfastness. So that perspective says, I can look beyond the short term to the long term. Now, with that mindset, let's get to your question about some specific things we can do. I can go into work appreciating and really valuing what has been around me and provided for me. So for example, think about the joy of opportunity. Joy of opportunity says, I get to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, The joy of responsibility. I've been entrusted with this. Think about the joy of relationship. I get to do this with these people. When we realize what we're doing, who we're doing it with, what's been entrusted to us, we begin to realize, man, this is a great opportunity. I am thankful for this, mm-hmm. which is why I think it comes down to kind of inter- interacts with um, gratitude, contentment, thankfulness, um, a-, a sense of personal humility of what I have that others have not been given. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you only have to stand in line so long at an unemployment line to realize how much you appreciated employment mm-hmm. and that security of that. Um, you, you only have to, you know, stand at a funeral, be at a funeral for so long before you appreciate the gift of life that you still have, mm-hmm. that others no longer have. And so when I go into a place of employment, thinking about your listeners here and how I can have joy, I want them to walk in on Monday morning with the lights come on and interact with people turning on their laptops, interacting with people, and they say, okay, I have the opportunity to do a job that I've been trained for, that I've been educated in, that will not only provide for my means, but through those means that I've been given, 
I'll be able to help serve others. I'll be able to have good food with others, enjoy outings with others. Relationships will be facilitated through my job. And I'm excited for that, like outside of my job. Furthermore, because of my job, I'm going to interact with people that I probably wouldn't have picked to interact with just by default. <laughs> Not because I'm unloving, but just because I only have so much time. I didn't pick them. But but my workplace environment, sort of by God's design, probably picked them. So I get to interact with people that I get to hear their stories. Mm. I get to learn from their perspectives. I get to really kind of grow, honestly, in kind of communal humility that not everybody's like me. And that kind of makes me a better citizen, which I can interact as a more meaningful neighbor to those around me who aren't necessarily like me. I'm thankful for my workplace there. Furthermore, I'm really recognizing I'm a part of something larger here, depending on the scale of the work you do, that 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 I as a single individual could ever accomplish on my own. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, in life, we like feeling like we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. It, it provides a sense of meaning and a sense of dignity. Now, shouldn't be fully tied to that, to be clear, unless I negate what I just said. But the sense of like, man, it's accomplishing something of greatness more than I as an individual can accomplish. And I feel a sense of accomplishment in that. I'm thankful. So So our win is my win. My win is our win and their win, their meaning who others are with me. It's a part of my win as well. So I'm, I'm in the words of scripture, I'm rejoicing with others. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thankful what they have. And so now I'm, I'm gladly cheerleading and applauding the good work of others while being humbled and thankful for the work entrusted to me and seeing how that only just facilitates relationships and also facilitates resources, money, housing, mm-hmm. opportunity, that I can enjoy that I would not have had I not had a place of employment. Mm-hmm. So if I had to summarize, be grateful. Well, I'll take that summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it works individually, but also as a leader, right? Because when you're grateful for the people that are working alongside with you, that shows and that, um, you know. Yeah, the, the, the important thing for leaders is not only the ideas they implement, yeah. it's the example they set. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, they, leaders will largely create a culture by the kind of people they are Absolutely. more than just the decisions they make mm-hmm. and or the policies they implement. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor. We've really enjoyed talking to you, learning from you. You know, this was a very special episode, I feel, because it kind of took us out of, you know, the um, sort of concrete, you know, workplace conversations that we've having. And it really got us thinking beyond that, as you're saying, you know, the way that we do one thing, we do everything and uh, really being able to see those threats and realize that joy doesn't belong in one place or another, but it's really pretty much a decision that we make um, every day in every interaction that we have. Well, listen, let me just say to both of you, thank you for having me as a guest. I'm super excited for your guys' podcast. Very thankful and just uh, trust will be used to be helped to help many people in their place of employment and just changing the perspective. So I'm really thankful for the contribution you're making here. Thank you so much. That really, that really resonates with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our mission to make the workplace more joyful. I'm Christine Selby. And I am Mappy Garcia. And we would love to know what you think. Leave a review, subscribe, share with your friends. Also, follow us on social at 9to5joy. We would love to get your questions, joy tips, and any suggestions on guests you would like us to invite, including yourself. Until next time, spread spread the joy.